Good afternoon and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. I'm your host, Barry Jones, and with me today is Hunter Hodnett. Say hello, Hunter. How's it going? Glad to have you with us. It's going good. Going good. So what are you up to these days? Tell us about yourself. Yeah. So these days I'm CTO and co-founder at Chip.ai, effectively just staying on the bleeding edge of just like what's going on in the AI world and connecting everyday people in a tangible way with all the progress that's happening. Yeah, there's there's certainly certainly a lot of stuff going on in the AI world right now. Every, every day, it seems like there's some new crazy bit of news out with it. And so, you know, with with, with Chip.ai, you know, tell us about where that fits in the market. Like what type of AI company is this, and how from a from an audience of largely technology people, where would you explain it to them, and then where would you explain it to your average everyday person who has no idea how any of this stuff works. Well, that's a really interesting conversation because we're actually right in the middle of a big pivot. So I'll, oh. I'll tell you the way chip started because uh, that really appeals to the technologists because we built chip.ai as a solution for developers. So we noticed a big trend in the market uh, with monetization and how monetization is being implemented for generative AI apps. So most SaaS, app, we're, we're kind of exiting the SaaS era right? Where you slap a monthly subscription and, you know, a two week free trial on your application. And that's the way monetization goes in the generative AI era. Uh, it's, it's moving to credit-based monetization. And so we noticed that, and we built a credit-based monetization solution. It, uh, is typically a counter in a database. It's not a super complex solution, but it's important to get a performance system up and running. And we wanted to make something simple. So that's the way we started and we appealed to developers. But um, one thing we noticed was, you know, developers didn't actually, it wasn't a huge problem for them. They were fine, you know, adding a counter to their user object in their databases and just making these packages themselves as like products in Stripe. And so what we then discovered uh, via a feature on chip.ai called, we kind of called it the playground. Uh, it was just a way to demonstrate how to implement chip, right? And so we did a little chat bot. It had the credit-based counter. You could purchase, you know, a package of credits, a monthly subscription. That went wild. We got hundreds of signups for that, it, like through that in a very short wow. period of time. Um, explosive. My phone buzzes every day. We get like 20 <laughs> signups a day. Um, That's fantastic. <clears throat> And so we're in the middle of a pivot to being like, okay, whatever audience has we've come in contact with through this playground feature, we want to serve that audience because clearly that's where demand is. And so what we are today is we enable people to deploy their knowledge to their audience via uh, AI agents or as OpenAI calls them assistance. And we give you like a branded login we give you a custom domain and you can take all the knowledge in your head, put it into an AI agent and deploy it to an audience. Interesting. All right. So, so I, I spend a lot of time with, uh, you know, in an area where not a lot of other programmers go with, um, with email authentication. For example, I spent a lot of time with DMARC SPF and, and DKIM. 
uh, and helping people get set up with that type of stuff. So do you mind if we were to just kind of walk through, like what would that look like if I was trying to, to put my email authentication knowledge? Cause it's usually, it, it ends up being a combination of, of a project to set up a domain. Like you've got a domain, you're sending email from, you know, the example that I always use is my, uh, my imaginary pirate themed gym, Slimmer E Timbers. That's um, hilarious. And so, uh, and so if I'm, if I'm trying to set up email for, you know, email account that's, you know, can send and receive from R at summeretimbers.com, uh, you go and you, you set up your SPF and your DCAM on like, say you've, you've got a Google account and then maybe you've got something that's sending email like through SendGrid or something like that. Uh, and you've got to do certain things to, to get it to where it passes DCAM and passes SPF and then it does them in the correct way with the domain name so that it will also pass DMARC in an aligned fashion. And all in all, I mean, once you've done it a couple of times, it ends up being pretty simple to do, but there are strange gotchas and there's certain things with certain platforms that are a little more complicated. So like if I'm trying to communicate that knowledge through chip.ai, like how, how, what would that look like for me? Yeah. So effectively what we have, and this is all very recent, uh, we right. discovered this just very recently is for people who operate service-based businesses, whether you do fractional CTO consulting, right? I do. Yes. Yeah. So that's a service-based business where you're offering a service. Uh, right. what we notice is for service-based businesses, we, uh, they had to, you have a web presence of some sort, right? Um, yeah. you have a top of funnel website where you acquire leads. Um, what we've noticed is people are deploying chip that they're, they're taking, um, so for example, all of your knowledge may be contained in a notion document or some kind of, maybe a markdown formatted file, or it might be a PDF or it might be a word document, but some textual, Obsidian for me, what's yeah. that? Obsidian for me. Obsidian. Yeah. Some kind of, uh, some kind of a text based document, right? Uh, right. what happens is you upload that document into a vector store. Uh, and effectively when a user types a sentence into a chat bot, uh, there's a process uh, called vectorization where you, uh, create, you, you convert text into numbers like vectors, right? So if you've done like physics or whatever, like it's a, it's an actual vector, a series of numbers that make up a vector. And okay. uh, the text in your document, all of your knowledge gets converted into vectors that are stored in a vector database. And when a customer comes to your website where you have a chip.ai chatbot embedded somewhere, uh, they can type in their query and be like, hey, you know, like I'm aware of Barry. I read, I listened to his podcast. I've seen his social media content. Um, I'm not ready to give him a direct call yet. I kind of want to know a little bit more about what he offers. I want to know that he can solve some sort of problem for me. Right. They go into a chat bot and they type in, Hey, how do I, you, you might offer a chat bot. What is it? Email. What's the topic? So, so demarking email D authentication, email authentication. So you've set up, you've taken all your text-based knowledge about that, loaded it into a vector store, uh, created a chat bot and embedded it into your site and you customers can then type in a query about email authentication and then their query gets converted into a vector and there's a process called cosine similarity where essentially you just run some math and say what text that is in that document that the text that's in that document that you uploaded what text is most similar to the thing the customer's asking that text is okay. pulled out 
and put into given to an LLM and you can instruct the LLM what to do with that. You can say, Hey, you are an email authentication bot. This is the text that is most similar to what the user is asking. And then you have a variable where that gets injected. And then you tell the LLM to generate a response and it just has a conversation with the customer. And so then that person, but it, but it's limited. It can't replace you. None of these technologies right. can replace you. So, it, but it gets the customer further along in your funnel. And so we're finding that these chatbots increase conversion rates for service-based businesses. Interesting. All right. Well, so, so let's, let's actually steer it towards something that, that you helped me out on a little while back. So you recently, you know, came to the Greenville area uh, from Austin, Texas. Yes. Right. And so you've been here since, uh, I believe you told me March of this past year, March of this year. Yes. And so I, I was able to meet you at some, at some local uh, tech events in the area. Cause you, uh, you moved to the area and then immediately got involved in the, I kind of just showed up. Yeah, you did. You just, you just appeared and I was like, wow, he's here for everything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and as I was getting the conference you know, set up and I was going after, after sponsors, you were um, the first person to volunteer to say, Hey, I want to help you get sponsors. And, uh, and that was awesome. Thank you for that, by the way. And so, you know, the, the sales funnel that I'm most accustomed to is the sponsorship sales funnel for, for the conference. And so for something like that, if people were just asking questions about, you know, if you know, I'm, I'm looking to, to spend about this much or I have this much budget, what can I get for this? Are there any trade-offs or anything like that? Is that stuff that I would put in like a published document on the site or I would just leave it entirely behind the scenes for the chatbot to, to know about? You would leave it entirely behind the scenes for the chatbot to, to know about. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. Maybe an opportunity to get you involved with the conference this year. We'll sure. Chip.ai on, on our sponsorship sales funnel. Yeah. <laughs> See how that goes this year. All right. So, so what brought you to Greenville? Yeah. So uh, my stepsister lives in the area. Um, you know, I have friends from high school and college that live here. Um, was look, I, Family's from North Georgia. I'm originally from North That's Georgia. Cool. Went to Auburn University. So I went off in Alabama. Um, I'm, I'm very sorry about that for this year for your football. I know. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Anyhow, uh, can we, <laughs> can we make collegiate sports off limits as well for the, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Not uh, in this part of the country. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, yeah, from, from the region, um, got married to my wife in Austin and, uh, she's originally from Oregon. We did not want to, oh, wow. we, we kind of thought about, do we go to Oregon where her family is or do we go? closer to my family. We decided to be closer to my family. Um, and yeah, so decided we wanted to move back to the region, looked at Marietta, Atlanta. It was just too big for us. And then came to yeah. Greenville. Uh, Greenville has like a marketing department, like the whole, yeah, that Greenville, like oh, yeah. all that stuff. And so we saw all the content came visited, uh, obviously my stepsisters here. So they showed us around and we were like, Oh my gosh, this place is like a not so hidden gem. Like this is amazing. Yeah, so it's beautiful. Yeah, it was a natural, it was a very easy choice to make. Nice. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. So you were in Austin before, and I know Austin has a reputation for a booming uh, tech scene. Isn't that where South by Southwest is as well? It is. Yeah. Okay. I've never been to South by Southwest, but I've, I've heard a lot of stories. Uh, did you ever go while you were out there? I didn't. Uh, I wish I did, but uh, the tickets were really expensive. And then I always ended up because I lived downtown in Austin. So it was like, oh, all I had wow. to do was step out my doorstep. And it's like I was at South by Southwest anyways. So fair enough. Yeah. 
So, I mean, so what, what was that like? I mean, I've, I've never been to Austin, Texas, but I've heard stories. But what, what's what's your take? What was the what was the tech scene like out there? It was good. It was a lot of B two B SaaS. Um, was really so. I had lived in San Francisco before Austin, and so oh, San wow. Francisco seemed like the B two C. The names everybody knows, you know, like Lyft, like all your big tech companies were out of that region. And in Austin, right. it was a very strong B two B scene. So companies you may not have heard of, but were highly profitable. Um, and then when I moved there, it also started getting a little bit more of a B, B2C, uh, kind of a scene. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. You could, you would just meet people like founders or investors, uh, or software engineers, like just going out and like having a nice day at the park. So it was one of those places where there was nice. a really strong network effect in place and, you couldn't help but bump into people who were, you know, founding companies or doing something really, you know, big. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So I mean, what was your favorite thing about Austin? My favorite thing about Austin was probably the river, like the Colorado river. It's called Ladybird Lake at the point where it goes through downtown Austin, but okay. it like goes right through downtown. Um, and it's like a river river. It's like something you can hop in and like, you know, boat down. Um, nice. it gets insanely hot in Austin, like very, very hot. Do that in Greenville, you just go over a waterfall. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so like the river was the main way to cool down. And so, nice. uh, yeah, it was just in that bunch of people there. Like, yeah. So. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of money out in, in Texas. I was on Dallas for the first time ever earlier this week actually and uh i got to to visit a complex where all these investors are and it's basically only investors lease space in this conference and in this complex it looks like a college campus uh, in terms of the architecture and the structure and it was just I mean, you're just looking at the complex going how much money was spent just to have offices here that people could rent it's yeah crazy. yeah it's but, insane um, yeah, but it seems like there's a there's a lot of that. But Texas is getting very popular. It seems like a lot of people are moving there. A lot of tech companies are moving there too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of money there. Uh, like like you said, um, their power grid is terrible. Uh, Texas is obviously yeah. Texas. I I went I lived through two snowpocalypses. Right, uh, I was there for both of them, and I was downtown, so I was like right in the disaster zone. And so uh, that was a big, we, my wife and I were like, we're not raising a family here. <laughs> so that, that's what ended up driving you out. Yeah. We were like, this infrastructure is just not built to handle the amount of people that are moving here. So, yeah, you got the, you've got a lot of power stations right near you right here. Thanks to Duke power. Yeah. So, um, there's, I mean, I've, so what, what part of Greenville do you live in? I live in North Maine. So I'm like five minutes from downtown. Oh, so you are, so you are right in downtown, right, right? in downtown. Uh, all right, so I'm I'm in easily. I'm about 10, 15 minutes from downtown. Oh, cool. Uh, drive wise, but uh, you know, I've I've been living here for twenty years, and I think we've maybe had a total of there was one day during a week long snowstorm where there were, were some serious power outages in other places, mm. and I think we lost power for a total of eighteen hours for that. Yeah. Outside of that, I don't don't think we've been out power with more than about you know for more than about thirty minutes. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and the, and the rest of the twenty years we yeah. were here. Well, the thing about Austin was it was like, it was so anonymous, right? I didn't really know my neighbors. There was no incentive to know your neighbors. Like there was like, it was kind of a, and then when the, you know, power outages happened, it just kind of like, you really felt the effect of like not having community around you. And so yeah, I, uh, I got a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends and family here. And so I was like, listen, if anything as bad as what happened happens, 
I at least want to be around friends and family, you know? So. Absolutely. That makes a lot of good sense too. I mean, you, you can't really argue with any of it. It's, um, I guess that happens a lot when people move around a lot. Uh, I know that was something that, you know, my wife and I had uh, at our kids, we've got two kids, um, 14 and 12 years old. And, uh, it wasn't until my son was about seven years old that, that her parents uh, moved to be within about, um, 15 minutes of us. They're over in powder oh, nice. area now, but they were, but they were living three hours away before and we didn't have any other, uh, other family in the area. And having her parents nearby became such a life changing experience for us in terms of raising kids. It made everything in mm. our lives easier. Yeah. And I think about it all the time because I didn't realize it at the time because yeah. you're just thinking, all right, well, we got to hire a sitter and then we got to find a sitter and we're looking for sitter services. And then you're interviewing them to find out how good they are. And then the second child comes along and you've already done the song and dance. So you're not really worried about it yeah. as much anymore. But it's, uh, I mean, but having to go through that process versus just being able to you know, either drop the kids off at their house or have them come over and, and help out if there was something going on, it, uh, it makes you think about how many people up and move to, to areas away from their families for work. And then when they're ready to start a family, yeah, everything is suddenly a lot harder mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't anything that was on your mind until, yeah. until it became a problem. We've got a baby due in January. So definitely uh, first one, first one. Yeah. So been going to all the classes and, and everything and oh. learning about what's in store. So we, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, we'll see you in five years. Yeah. See me in five years. Yeah. I, uh, I, I said that in a, a group the other day and uh, two guys were like sleep now. Uh, so, <laughs> but we, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Could not be more thrilled. And, um, yeah, I mean, my wife and I were both very transient kind of like in our twenties and thirties. And, uh, you know, you, you really feel the effect of transiency, like, you know, especially when you want to do something like, you know, have a family and, and, and put down roots. So we're, we're super happy to, to just like Greenville, we've stuck our flag in Greenville and we are like, come, you know, come whatever happens. We're, yeah, we're sticking in one spot. So I, I can absolutely feel that we, we talked about moving off and on throughout the first few years that we were here. And it just, every time we looked around and moving somewhere else, we're like, I can't find anywhere better than this. <laughs> this place is amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and so, yeah, we've, we've really, really just loved it. And, and my whole family is from Florence about, you know, two and a half hours away from Greenville, uh, more towards the beach. And, uh, and I've got huge family down there. I've, I've got like 11 first cousins and, oh, cool. and all sorts of, and, you know, they've all got kids now and I mean, it, there's a lot of family down there, Yeah, but, uh, there's no tech jobs, right? Down there. so yeah. There's, there's only a couple places early in at least. Years ago, that was how it was. I don't know if how much it's changed recently, but uh, sure. But I mean, it was basically if you were in this field, you were working in a hospital. If you were down there, mm, got it. there just weren't a lot yeah. of options. And up here, you got everything. Yeah, <laughs> you you walk out the door, and there's another tech job available. Yeah, and that was before the remote stuff started sure. becoming popular. Yeah, but um, so you got it. Plus, my wife has a successful business here as well. And yeah, so that that makes it really really difficult to move. <laughs> of course, yeah, absolutely. But so when you went out to San Francisco, did you, you know, um, and then, and then Austin, did that happen because, you know, you interviewed with a company and they moved you out there or did you just move out there and decide? No, I, I interviewed with a company and, and got moved out there. So I interviewed with Amazon music and oh, nice. uh, that was an on-site position and 
2015 and uh, they relocated me for that job. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, that was that was the thing that I found was really interesting is that you know, I've, I have only tried to get jobs outside of the area a couple times and I had a recruiter contact me for a position in New York. And this was like eight years ago. And my wife already had a successful business at that time. And so for us to move, it would have meant literally selling her business so that we could relocate. Um, and it, it very much will keep you anchored to a particular area that way, in a good way. And you would talk to recruiters on the phone about this, or you would talk to the people hiring on the phone about this, and, and you'd ask them about you know remote options. And they would think it was odd that I wasn't willing to just fly up there for yeah. five days a week and then fly back. I was like, that's insane. Who's okay with that? Who does that? Yeah. <laughs> but apparently a lot of people are. But I've, I've heard there are actually flights out of Charleston that are basically for people to go from Charleston to, to New York and then turn around and fly back on, on Fridays. I've had a, so I, I, before chip, I was working at a New York based company and, and uh, it's a pretty easy flight. Uh, you, you get a direct for uh, Greenville to New York flight. Uh, so it's actually, really? it wasn't really that bad. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to know. I don't know if I would I'll, do it I'll, like keep that in mind every week. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It would take a lot to, to pull that off, but it was a, uh, so let's see, let's, let me, drive back to some topics a little bit here. So we'll, uh, we'll stick with Austin for a minute before we segue back into Greenville and chip and all that. So you were, when you were out in, in Austin, you, uh, you were doing the fractional CTO thing as well. Yep. It looks like, and, and was that with the company called cottage? I believe It was, yeah, I was doing, uh, so I started freelancing, uh, and just building MVPs for startups. And then, uh, noticed that I wasn't able to get, startups were very like strapped in terms of cash. So nobody mm -hmm. could really afford to have me on full time. So to make that position work, I took multiple contracts. Then that's how the fractional C uh, the fractional CTO role spun out of that. Yeah. That was a, that was a term that I didn't even know existed until I started seeing yeah. other people using it. And I just adopted the title recently uh, myself uh, last year because I didn't really know how to describe what it was I was doing. Yeah. I wasn't really sure what the official role for it. And apparently that was what it was. Apparently what I was doing was basically just that without, I was trying to invent names like technical stewardship consultant and stuff. And, I like that. That's you know, a really good description. I, I, I liked it too. I thought it was pretty good, but nobody knew what it You do mean. a lot of, or if they did, they weren't Googling for it. So it you do matter. a lot of like scrum stuff, right? Like, no, no, oh, I really? hate scrum. I'm passionately oh. anti-scrum. Oh, but, sorry. I apologize. I didn't mean to give you that label. No, no, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah. We'll, we'll shake your fist, whatever. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I do some, some scaled agile framework. Stuff, ah, but, got it. Um, I, I teach the, the courses on that, but I'm not 100% in, in anything. I'm, I'm more about best practices and finding out what works best for mm. you. I mean, I, I have taught a couple of the classes, but for the most part, when I've gone in from a consulting, I'm, I'm analyzing the companies and kind of seeing where their team is, where their processes are, where the gaps are, and what needs to be done more efficiently. Mm. And if there are some best practices that we can pull in, yes. And 90% of the time, your uh, my goal is trying to improve you know, communication uh, and get things out of the way for the development team so that they can work more effectively on the things that matter oh, and nice. getting people to focus the priorities. Because you know, if, if, if you've worked with enough startups, and I'm sure you've even seen it with, uh, with Chip, you've got all of these things that you can do and you're just trying to reel it back into what do we need to focus on? You have, How are we actually going through the process of prioritizing this stuff? You have great branding. Because you want to do it all, yeah. but you can't. 
bright ball. I remember you telling me the story behind the bright ball stuff. So that's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's all sorts of shiny stuff you can do. There's all there's many bright balls you can follow. Uh, but what is the exactly. thing that you need to get done? That's really cool. Exactly. And and you know, just just prioritizing and kind of doing the the value mapping exercises and your your essentially your ROI, your cost benefit. Nice. The, the biggest thing to remind people about, especially with small teams, is uh, is opportunity cost. Yeah. Is that you there's only a finite amount of time. And so if you're doing it on this thing, you're not doing it on that thing. Right. And, uh, and ultimately, yeah, you start looking at a lot of things and you say, we want to do all these things. You still have to prioritize them. You still have to right. figure out which one makes the most sense in the shortest period of time and what, and how to grow on. So we, so there's a lot of exercises like that, but, um, but no, the, the reason I, I reacted so strongly to the, to the strum thing is just because so many areas where I get into, um, I, I haven't been around, te- I've been around many companies that were doing scrum and it was working for them. And there's just a lot of, a lot of negative side practices that, that come out of it. And I don't want to take over your podcast talking about this stuff. So I'm going to, sure. to segue back out of that. But, uh, but, but back to cottage, I mean, so you were, so you were helping startups, helping them get MVPs out of the way with your, with the fractional consulting stuff. And, and so I, I assume that ended up working out pretty well for you. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a good agency business. And I wanted to, where I got into trouble was when I tried to turn, I tried to build a platform on top of it. And, uh, I didn't really know a lot about business. Like I, I didn't understand, I, I was very much just software engineering knowledge. And so I stumbled into what is actually like the most difficult business model to crack, which is a marketplace, two-sided marketplace. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I was trying to, it's the, it's the one that's so tempting. It's the most like, Oh, let's build Uber for this, or let's build like Airbnb for this. Uh, it's easy to think about very hard to execute on. Um, oh yeah. And so I hit some execution risk, uh, especially if there's any other players in the market too, because then you've got the network effect already built into them and you've got to win everybody at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, they say like kind of a humbling thing that can happen to like a first time founder is you go into a market thinking that you're going to just revolutionize everything, but you end up actually discovering why things work the way they work. And that happened to me (laughs) in a big way. I was like, Oh, this is why it works that way. You know? Yeah. So, there's, there's nothing quite like pulling the veil of naivety back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Going, yep. So uh, if only everyone just did it this way. Oh, that's why. Right. There are problems that are, are addressed by all this process in place. So, yes. Yep. So instilled me with much more humility towards, you know, the way I approach my career. Yep. That is a experience definitely comes with that for sure. For sure. And that's, that's why when I was talking about whatever I do, whenever I come in is that i I don't come in to anything saying you need to adopt this. I come into saying, let's see how things work and why they work the way they do. Because there's always a reason why it works the way they do. Yeah. Sometimes that reason is, is just, you know, people didn't know any better, but other times it's, you know, hard learned lessons and, yeah. and whatnot. And so you've got to work your way around that stuff. So came to Greenville in March, immediately jumped into the tech scene. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the very first time I met you was at a, a, a meeting at, uh, Fireforge, I believe it yeah. was with uh, with Jim and and all them as they were kind of going through a lot of the the future of Hack Greenville and and rope, roping and meetups. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, was it Jim that found you because you were running a meetup? Yeah, I, I kind of I came to Greenville in uh, the way that I acquired 
the way I kind of just got in touch with people in Austin was I would run meetups, right? I was yeah. running an agency business and, and, you know, meetup.com was my chief acquisition channel. And so it's what I knew. And so I got here and, uh, was, uh, just wanted to meet people. Wasn't necessarily trying to, you know, profit from any of the interactions, but just wanted to meet folks. And, um, I kind of came here thinking that there would not be anything here, right? Which was a very, you know, egotistical way to approach moving to a new place. Uh, so it's kind of a jerk, kind of a jerk thing, but you know, I mean, I know, I, I know now, right. But, uh, well, I, at the same time, you weren't wrong because I mean, a lot of stuff washed out during COVID. There and, was so much those, those meetings with Jim were about rebooting things. Totally. Totally. Um, so that was that just, you know, not that I'm of that mind now, but that that's the mindset that I was in when I, I first got here. And so I was like, I'm going to start this, tech meetup and we're going to do this and this and this. And, uh, I had used AI to actually generate the description and I did not know a whole lot about, you know, some of the flaws of LLMs at that time. I don't think a lot of people did. And it had given this overly broad overview of like what this tech meetup was going to be that I didn't actually intend it to be, but I just copied and pasted and very bad idea. Never copy and paste directly from an LLM. Oh no. And, uh, yeah. Anyways, Jim found like except chip.ai, except chip.ai. Right. So, but it's very important that like, you know, there's a human in the loop aspect to it. Like you, you want to get customers to a human conversation with you. You don't want them, you know, those, those bots can't solve their problem as well as you can. And so I, uh, got here, I had this like overarching meetup group. I was, I had like one or two people showing up to my events, nothing big. Um, but somebody reached out to me and be like, Hey, actually there's this really great technology organization that already exists. And like, it'd be great if you want to be a, a part of it and contribute to the thing that is already here. And that was how I got, uh, I found out about Hack Greenville and I saw all the great infrastructure they already had in place. And, yeah. um, you know, they just had all this stuff already working and I was like, Oh wow, there is so much, there's so much already here. And, uh, you know, after that I found next Upstate and, so, you know, all the necessary pieces for like a thriving ecosystem were actually already here. And I realized like, hey, yeah. best thing for me to do is to just be a pair of willing hands and jump in and help out and make the thing that's here um, as great as it can be. Like put my efforts toward the things that are already pre-existing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's definitely been an interesting dynamic because, you know, prior to COVID, there were... Uh, tech meetups for every programming language under the sun. And they were all meeting very regularly. Uh, it was a really booming ecosystem, but the, each meetup was run by an individual person. And when, when COVID happened, you know, for the most part, people were going to those meetups to see people in person. They weren't just there for watching a topic on zoom. And especially with the zoom fatigue, people don't want to spend their time after work on another right, zoom call. Right. Um, you know, there were some that, that managed to find more effective ways to work through that. Like I, I interviewed uh, Jace Eckerd, who runs the Upstate Linux user group, and they managed to combine with the Columbia group during COVID, and they would alternate who was doing the speakers, and they actually grew out of uh, out of out of COVID. But a lot of them just ended up stopping meeting altogether. And one of the really complicated things about it, and one of the reasons that you know the gym's been so active in trying to t- kind of get things more stabilized going forward, is that when a single person goes and runs a meetup. It's all on you. 
all the disappointment when, when you schedule it and, and people don't come out, all the surprise when a bunch of people do come out and you don't have enough pizza or whatever else, and, and the work of going and trying to find sponsors and stuff to, to facilitate it and keep constantly getting the word out and being consistent about it enough so that you can build it up over time. And there are people that you can lean on to to um, to get advice and, and kind of make it so it's not just all on you because it benefits everyone to, to have it. We still want your initiative to go out and to go out and say, I want to meet up on, you know, I know you're a big TypeScript fan. So man, if, if, uh, if we were going to have a, a meetup on TypeScript or a meetup on AI or something like that, and you wanted to, to start one, you know, having a way to start that and, and help you get the word out and help you have a, without having to pay for a separate meetup account uh, and spread the word to people or to have sort of a demo with the, the quarterly hat Greenville uh, meeting where they will have multiple talks and you can kind of go out and give a talk and then say, all right, so hope y'all enjoyed it. I th- I'm going to be starting like a monthly meetup about this topic. Is anybody else here that's interested? And it's a kind of a good way to, to do a launch point for new me- meetups in the area and test the waters. And that first, you know, Hack Greenville Nights uh, back in uh, October, I think there was like 60 something people out there oh, wow. for which for a local meetup was, was pretty good. And they had yeah. four different talks. And, uh, and it's, you know, if, if we keep that you know, necessity of attending that every quarter kind of up for people, It'll be a really good place to, to launch things from. And so I'm, I'm glad to, to see that. And it's great that he was you know looking out for that. That's actually how um, we met uh, Nate, who did the 3JS meetup. And we saw he started up. So what's this 3JS technology? And somebody's starting a meetup about it here in Greenville. And we roped him in the same way that we roped everything else in. And so how uh, we found you. A meetup's a great way to do discoverability. Yeah. I and mean, it's a great way to find things in the area. It's, it's a fantastic platform for that. Yeah, I found I've really, really loved it. Yep. I feel like I'm monologuing a little bit at this point. <laughs> um, but post 2020, it's uh, it's been interesting because so many people have moved to the area. Yeah. Uh, from, you know, from the explosion in remote work. And, and there's some fields where I think it's, you know, they're trying to go back to onsite for, for a lot of, a lot of stuff, but for programmers, I don't, I don't know that it's ever fully going back to that because there's just, there's too many opportunities that fit it just naturally. Yeah. It, it feels a little bit like musical chairs. Um, you know, of like, I, I do notice quite a few, but there, there's obviously way more tech jobs than I think way more remote tech jobs than did exist, you know, pre re, pre full remote. And, yeah. uh, I have noticed like, like the big tech companies seem to be pulling people back in the office in quite large numbers. Um, trying to, you know, and so, I do think, you know, obviously I want chip to, to be a, a, you know, a gigantic company. Um, and so we, I, I do think there is probably a physical office in our future at some point with some kind of like a hybrid, um, you know, thing going on. Um, but I, I do think there are a significant number of just like permanently remote jobs, uh, especially yeah. for software engineers, because it's just, it just works so well with the profession. Um, Absolutely. But, everybody learned how to do it effectively. Yeah. And everybody learns how to do it effectively. I do find myself sometimes we, we the way we uh, make it work is we do like an offsite every six weeks where we just get together for a week and we do like some intense in-person collaboration. And that's yeah, typically like that. enough for us. I've seen people, uh, people advocate on the remote side of things for, um, for sort of a, a regional area so that you're at least within a few hours, it, it, you're at least within reasonable driving distance. If you wanted to get together yeah. periodically that it didn't, there wasn't a huge task. Uh, and I definitely, I appreciate that model. 
Yeah. And you know, here in the upstate, you know, in, in the Greenville area, you've got a great area to draw on because you've got you can easily pull from from Charlotte and Atlanta and Charleston and uh, and Augusta and Knoxville and even Chattanooga is only you know about four and a half hours away. Um, you've you've got a lot of options to kind of have an orbit where you know you're all for the most part in the same time zone. And if you wanted to, to pull everybody into Greenville periodically, you know, once a month or something like that, it wouldn't be too much trouble to do it realistically. Because um, getting that in-person time does does really matter. That's actually one of the things that's that's fun to advocate for on the, on the scaled agile side of stuff is they, they do this thing called PI planning, which is every eight to 12 weeks, depending on what you set your schedule up as, you have this big like two or three day planning meeting. And they really advocate for it to be done in person. And it's a, it's a good way to just kind of plan out the, all right, Here's where we are. Here's what our goal is. Let's set out, plan out how to do it. And then we're going to go execute. And then we're going to come back in uh, eight to 12 weeks. And we're going to see how that went and, and update and improve and continue and keep on going. I think it actually fits really well with that kind of orbital yeah. remote. I don't know what the proper term for that is. Or, I'm going to go with orbital remote. I'm going to call I like it. <laughs> so, where you can come in and do those types of things. But, you know. But uh, so, you know, you, you mentioned y'all are y'all are very much settled in Greenville and you've kind of gotten very plugged into the community and, and all that. So what uh, what really what's keeping you here? What do you think the future looks like for uh, for Chip? And, and I know you mentioned you got involved with Next Upstate. So how, how did that go? What was your involvement with Next Upstate like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So future for Chip. Uh, so, so several questions are going to answer them one at a time. Uh, There's a lot of thoughts at once there. Sorry. <laughs> no, nah, no worries. So uh, future for chip is um, we are actually technically a North Dakota company. Uh, most of our funding has come from uh, the ecosystem out of Fargo, North Dakota. Um, it's actually really inspired. So I'm CTO. Uh, my co-founder is CEO and he is in Fargo, North Dakota. And um, we've received a tremendous amount of support from that ecosystem. And so I think a physical office, if we do have a physical office presence, will probably be there. Um, so I think, you know, that'll be in our future at some point, probably, you know, potentially next year. Uh, we brought on another engineer just this week. So we're doing remote hiring, um, brought on a designer. So we're starting to scale the company very, you know, slow and steady because we don't want to, we don't want to expand too quick. We want to make sure that we have solid fit and that we've really, you know, these things that are working, you know, we've really, 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 um, one of my co-founders described it as like a cult VC mindset, like this one mindset that per pervades most of the, you know, behind the doors VC community is mm -hmm. like find an ideal customer and then just dominate the feature set. Right. And so we've honed it. We've, we've shifted our ideal customer, but we're in that mode of like dominate the feature set. So scaling that out over the next year, making sure we deliver best in class features for everything, you know, that ideal customer wants. And then the second thing you, you mentioned was like Greenville in general and kind of, Oh, next upstate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as I was, so the other thing is I'm very entrepreneurial love, helping startup founders, uh, love anything. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm the personality type of like, I'm great for zero to one, right? I'm not the big company guy. Like the moment we start talking, you know, internal politics and like bureaucracy, like that's where I'm like, hit the eject button. Um, yeah. 
So very much zero to one love being surrounded by people who are like zero to one mindset and just bravery. There's so much bravery that comes with like, Hey, I'm going to take a big leap into the unknown and I'm fine with that. I will make it up as I go. And, uh, I was, how did I get involved with next upstate? Um, Oh, I was in a, uh, I was just in like a men's group that I was in and just kind of chatting just on a personal level. And, uh, somebody connected me, found out that I was an entrepreneur and he connected me with next upstate. And so, uh, he was just like, Hey, you should probably talk to these people and just kind of offered to, you know, uh, I think something really cool that's going on in Greenville that I've noticed is like a pattern is they're like, Hey, if you really want to be uh, involved in this community, be giving of your time, like just help people. Right. Um, yeah, so there seems to be absolutely. a very strong uh, pattern of like, Hey, listen, if you want to um, there's a lot of investors here that are like, Hey, if you want to get my attention, help people in this area. Um, so really great investors here. And uh that got me like volunteering my time with just anyone who needed help. And so, um, just, I still to like on, you know, a weekly basis, I'll just meet with founders who just like need some tech advice, uh, just kind of anything. So on just a grand scale of things of like, Hey, I don't even know how to make a Wix site for like my just, you know, service, like a small service business. So I'll help out with those things of like, Hey, here's how you can get a landing page set up to like, you know, there are people here, you, you have BMW in the area. So there's a lot of manufacturing tech. You have people in some like yeah, real deep tech stuff. Area. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll talk with those founders to the degree that I can, that I'm capable, um, and just give, a, you know, just help them just be a sounding board for them. And, um, you know, uh, my background's in like web development, but I do have a, uh, you know, software engineering degree. So just like, yeah. Nice thing about web development is it, it's kind of a glue industry where you're so used to not just pulling together all the different parts that go onto the website. There's so many different technologies that go in and you're connecting with all these outside things, but especially from what you've done in the fractional CTO thing and working with a bunch of different businesses, you get to understand a bunch of different business models and markets. Yeah it puts you in a good position to really have those type of conversations with people. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Yeah. I've, I thought about that the other day. I was like, wow, I've really been exposed to so many different business models and so many different technologies um, that it really helps me have like a holistic view of like where things fit in the greater scheme of things. And I think that's ultimately what I'm able to offer people when I like meet with them and uh, kind of talk about, um, I'll, I like to visualize businesses, especially technology businesses. And then I'll, I'll like add this graphic in a workshop I did of like the funnel and like, this is your business is a funnel and like, here's where your pieces are. Um, even if yeah. you're like a deep tech, you have some kind of web presence, right. That funnels into, Hey, buy my robot or, you know, something like that. Um, so we need, we need to grab a cup of coffee sometime and talk about the Carolina code conference funnel. I need, I need some, some yeah. honor advice there. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so there's just, so it's also one of those things where it's like, there is so much vibrant, um, you know, technology, there's such a vibrant technology ecosystem here. And the one thing I notice with most people I meet is they think they're all, they're all kind of seem like marathon runners, right? They, they think they're in their own lane. They're doing their thing. They're incredibly ambitious. But sometimes as I notice, like, sometimes if you think you're alone and doing that thing, you're like, dang, like, am I crazy? Like, am I, 
is this audacious, you know, um, yeah. and having founders and other people around you who are also ambitious and audacious to like, just be like, no, that's amazing what you're doing. Like, keep going. Like, it doesn't matter that there's things you don't know about it. Like, just make it up. Like, keep, like, keep moving forward, you know? So yeah, you find a way to make money on it and, yeah. and it will, it will go. Yeah. A lot of times, I mean, if, if, if everyone else knew how to make money on it, they would already be doing it. Right. And so it seems like, yeah, it's the whole like fortune favors the bold thing. So, um, there's so much of that here. There's so many just like brave and bold founders and software engineers. And, um, it's, it's truly, uh, I moved here for friends and family. And so it's been just so delightful to, um, just be like, realize that there's just such a vibrant ecosystem here for like founders and engineers. I might have to get you to send me some recommendations on future interviews. To oh gosh, I could send you a list of people that like, there's one guy who he's got like a beer serving bot. Like he, he, he does contract, he contracts, uh, he's like a manufacturing, uh, engineer, right. And he contracts with factories, but then just oh, in his I free time, yeah. in his free time, he created a, a robot that will serve you. You select your, what you want from a screen and it will serve you beer and you can set this up and he's trying to uh, sell. He's, he's trying to get contract. He has contracts with like, uh, sports stadiums. And so he, um, yeah, he's got a really great business and I'm like, holy smokes, dude, like you programmed that robot. He's like, yeah, I program robots. It's my job. And I'm like, bro, like, <laughs> and then this other woman had like a, she has a, a glove with a camera in it and like, it's for factory work, people in factories or, or, uh, you know, supply chain facilities, like rather than taking the, uh, currently take out mobile phones and like, take like little screenshots. I think she has this glove that will just take a photo of whatever it is in front of them. And, uh, yeah, like hook it into their whole supply chains. So there's just all this crazy stuff going on here. That is, uh, capitalism fun, isn't it? It, it, it is. Yeah. Ideas. If you find a way to make something better, build a better mousetrap or streamline something that's taken too long, you can just go do it. Yeah. And it's so exciting, you know, like, uh, Realizing you're that you're going to put me in touch with some of these people. Sure. Like, you know, absolutely. I got to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like, there's so many opportunities to build something that people want and will pay for. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, across the spectrum of, of all sorts of different things. Those are very deep tech things, but there's also, um, you know, there, there's so many different types of businesses here that are just like, so, so cool. So yeah. anyhow, I could go on for days about it, but yeah, Greenville is like the place it is. I mean, so many, so much cool stuff going on here economically and, you know, and, and otherwise. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, with, uh, were you, did you end up being able to make it to the conference this year? I know you had some potential conflicts. Yeah. We had our first offsite or no, no, we didn't know it wasn't our first offsite. It was, uh, I went to my wife's parents' house for the first time. <laughs> So we, we flew and stayed with her family for a week. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, All right. so that was like gotcha. a really important trip. Yeah. <laughs> so I had yeah, to, I, I had to I understand. That. Yeah. I, I remember being, being really shocked that after you went from being extremely involved and then you couldn't make it. Back I know I was like, I was like, Oh crud. Like I need to, you know, we moved to a part of the country where I have friends and family. And so we were all involved in my friends and family. And it was my first year yeah. of marriage, right. Where we're just figuring everything out. And, uh, so I realized we had not spent enough time with my wife's family. And so we had to, you know, we, we booked a trip out there and, uh, yeah, it's very much a balance made sure that like, Hey, listen, like 
want to be a part of their lives and, and everything. So nice. Nice. So one thing I wasn't, uh, I was not counting on whenever we, we started this conversation that I've got to ask more about Fargo. Yes. So I don't know anything about Fargo, North, North Dakota, aside from, I assume it's cold. Yeah. And the movie. That's what everyone knows. Yeah. I feel so <laughs> terrible now that I know more about it. And I, uh, interestingly enough, my stepbrother-in-law is also from Fargo. And so when I started this, when I got into this business with my co-founder who's in Fargo, lots of interesting conversations. And that's kind of how North Dakota State, is that where North Dakota state is too? I believe so. Yeah. I believe North Dakota state okay. yeah, is there. Um, okay. and so I felt so bad cause like, that's how everyone relates to Fargo is like the movie and like, you know, like there's sugar beets that are grown there and like, kind of that's it. Uh, nice. but when I went there, I went there for our offsite and I, I got very familiar with the ecosystem and there's like also something very, uh, really cool going on, on there in their ecosystem, um, where they've put infrastructure in place to offer like first class support to entrepreneurs. Um, and there's a very, yeah, the, just, uh, my, my co-founder has, he's like lived in that region for most of his life. Right. And so, uh, there's really cool thing. It's really cool to see, like, when you choose to like be really have like deep roots in a community, like what the fruit of that can be, because when we yeah. needed investment, when we needed, somebody has got to raise money to like do the thing. Um, he was, you know, in that community and received uh, a lot of support, uh, for the business venture that is now chip. And, um, they, yeah, there's tons of things that I could name individually. I'd probably take up a, a bunch of time that they have done to actually create, like to stimulate economic prosperity there. Um, they have these things called Renaissance zones where they'll take an area of the city that, uh, you know, maybe has like abandoned factories or something like that. And they will nice. set aside uh, public funding to create like a really trendy public space. And then they'll host tech meetups in the space and then the area revitalizes. And it was really cool. It's really cool to see, but yeah, nice. um, there's economically Fargo, North Dakota, like a lot of good stuff going on there. Very, very cool. And the, um, so let's see, I, I I do know about North Dakota State a little bit because they had a really good football team for a long, just to bring it back to collegiate sure. athletics. For yeah, let's get back to um, it. To, to the point that they were actually featured on like college game day a few times. And I think college game day even went there for, you know, for some, some championship games that they had or regular season champ, championship games or something at some point. But uh, it was really interesting to, to follow along. I remember they had like a big dome or not a, they had a big indoor stadium because of it was, it was so cold and it was like a really, Really cool environment. Everybody seemed to seem to really love it up there. But um, you know, we've been talking about as a family just doing like sort of an upper Midwest trip. You know, like hitting like Yellowstone, maybe hitting the even even going potentially as far as like the the Scablands in Eastern Washington. Oh, nice uh, state. But in uh, you know hitting um, going to South Dakota and hitting Mount Rushmore. Yeah. So. If I'm if I'm turning the RV towards North Dakota, towards Fargo, what's the one thing that I've got to see that I've got to take the family to go do in, in Fargo if I'm there? Gosh, I think the food is amazing. They they have good food. Um, the food is really good. You have um, 
just like uh, the downtown is really nice. You got to see the downtown. There's a lot of really cool shops, um, a lot of really cool stuff going on downtown. Okay. Um, there's a very big tech industry there. Um, I, I think the big thing is uh, there was a guy who started a tech company there uh, who sold to Microsoft, but insisted that the office stay in Fargo. And so that created a lot of economic activity there. So you have a lot of very cutting edge software engineers just kind of milling about in the space. And I think that nice. creates a lot of uh, activity. Um, let's see what else. Um, Sauna. Nothing for a family visit yet. Nothing for a family visit yet. Um, it, it's a very cool place if you're if you're just like a, you know, it, it's a great place to be an entrepreneur. Great place to you know, um, you know, hang out. There's there's a uh, there's yeah, good food, good people. Um, yeah, it's all it's, right. Yeah, well, good deal. Okay, well, um, this has been this has been pretty informative overall. Anything you want to to wrap us up with? Anything else you want to kind of add for the audience? Um. I think, yeah, just like if, if, uh, if anybody's in the upstate area and just wants to chat technology, uh, I try to make myself as available as possible. If you want to grab coffee, I love methodical. Uh, when I did a workshop at next upstate, they gave me, uh, a little gift card and a mug for methodical. And I was like, dang, I do meet it at methodical a lot. So, uh, this smart, this podcast is not sponsored by methodical. Oddly enough, like they didn't give me money to say that. The funny thing about it is I'm going to have to get Marco from, from methodical on here to do the podcast at some point, because that is one of multiple times that I've had to mention that this podcast was not sponsored by yeah. methodical. It's the best place to meet, you know, cause goodness gracious. They, I mean, they've, they've taken over the tech community without us even realizing it. We're all, we're all living by methodical. They, they, they've really captured something. They've captured kind of like the, uh, you know, stimulating creative atmosphere where like you want to meet there, you know? So anyways, if anybody hears this and is like, Hey, I'd love to talk to Hunter. Um, yeah. Shoot an email to Hunter at chip with two P's C H I P P dot A I. And uh, nice. yeah, if you're in the area, you yeah. love to just chat technology. Just, just to close out on, on methodical on another note, did you know that there's actually a, a series on Amazon that covers like premium coffees? And the first episode is about methodical. Oh, wow. I yeah, it's to called, to uh, I think it's called top coffee. And, and the first episode is all about methodical coffee right here in Greenville. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> they do such a great <laughs> job. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I, the, the one sponsor that, that I do have to shout out to is uh, thanks to herd media again, for helping us get this podcast put together and, and all the, uh, all the advice that, that y'all have given. If you're starting a podcast or you're looking to, to have a professional crew run your podcast for you, uh, talk to Herd Media. You basically will do the conversations and they will take care of everything else. Um, and with that, this has been the Carolina Codecast.